Middle school, I don't know about you, but I am ready, I'm excited, and I'm expectant that a revival is going to take place in this place and beyond this place. Is anybody ready for revival? Is anybody ready for revival? Well, hey, before we do anything else, I want everybody to stand up real quick. Stand up right where you are. And I want you to find five people in here, five people, whether you know them or you don't, give them a high five, give them a hug, whatever you need to do, and tell them it's time for revival. It's time for revival. It is time for revival. All right, and when you've done that, make your way back to your seat, please, and we'll get things started. Well, as Hayden mentioned earlier, my name, if we have not met, is Bryce Holman, also known as? You guys are awesome. I love you guys. Yes, so some people call me Spicy Brycey. If you're new today and you didn't know that, feel free to call me that. Please call me that. As you just heard, everybody else calls me that, so I, I love it. I love it. Well, we're in week three of a series we are calling Revival. All right, has anybody enjoyed this series so far? A few people? Awesome, awesome. Well, in week one, just to recap, we heard Stow come up and kick us off, telling us that revival has to start small. And last week, Trevor brought back the message that he brought by saying, it has to start with you. It has to start with me. It has to start with us, all of us, individually and collectively. And tonight, before I tell you the title of my message and what we're going to be talking about, I want to talk briefly about a revival that took place in the early 1900s. And to do this, I want to talk about two dudes in particular, one of which is named Billy Graham, the other of which is named Andrew Murray. All right, so first, Billy Graham. Share Faith Magazine did an article that I read about this week on these revivals that took place, uh, led by people like Billy Graham. And God used Billy Graham to lead millions, with an M, millions of lost people to Christ. And in the article that I read, they recapped some of his work and what took place during this revival. And they stated that if we want to see a revival like that again, then it has to begin with a posture of prayer. A posture of prayer. The second guy, Andrew Murray. He was a South African pastor. You probably haven't heard of him. I didn't know who he was until I looked him up. And one time he said these words, the coming revival must begin with a great revival of prayer. The coming revival must begin with a great revival of prayer. Now notice Andrew Murray, when he says these words, he had the faith to see that the revival was coming before it was already there. He says the coming revival, as in there's a revival coming. I already know that. God has already told me. The, I, I want to see a revival happen. It's just a matter if you and the others around you are willing to take a step of faith through prayer to watch me do it. And so the title tonight is number one. We've already talked about how it has to start small. It has to start with you. And tonight we're going to talk about how it has to start. Revival has to start with prayer. Revival has to start with prayer. So if you're taking notes, that is the title of tonight's message. And in order to talk about prayer, I want us to direct us, I want to direct us to a very famous prayer in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles with you, or you have them on your phone or any other device, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be in verses 9 through 13. 
Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And when you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. Now, this section of Jesus' teaching is something we call the Lord's Prayer. And the reason we call it that is because the Lord Jesus is the one praying it. So, super simple. Uh, and so, this falls right in the middle of chapters 5 through 7 in the Bible, in, in Matthew, that a lot of people will call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so, so he was on a mountain when he was teaching this, and so it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we find this prayer right in the middle. Now, if you come to the 9 o'clock services before Sunday school every Sunday, you will hear the entire congregation at one point in the service recite this prayer. And so everyone says it at the same time because we believe as a congregation, as the body of Christ, as believers, that this prayer has power. And so tonight, what I want us to do is stand up one more time. Promise this is it. We're getting our workout in. It's okay. Um, all right, so here's what we're going to do. The words are going to be on the screen behind me of this prayer, and I want you to read it out loud with me, all right? And so follow along on the screen. If you don't know the words, if you do, awesome. All right, so here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, give yourselves a round of applause. That was good. That was really good. All right, y'all going to have a seat? So Jesus teaches us this prayer so that we have something to pray when we don't know what to pray. Because here's the truth, and I've experienced it, maybe you've experienced it too. There are going to be times in your life when you're put in a situation that forces you to have a negative attitude maybe, to maybe be down on yourself, to, to, to maybe be angry at someone else. And you want to pray. You want to ask God for forgiveness. You want to ask God for, to lead you in the right direction. You want to ask God for guidance, but maybe you don't know what to say. And so back when Jesus was talking about this in the book of Matthew, when this was said by Jesus, he was doing that. He, he, he recognized that the people around him that he was talking to, they were going through the same thing. He, he knew that the, the, the people that needed to hear this were the ones that maybe didn't know what to pray, that didn't have the words to express either their thankfulness to God or if they needed something from God, if they wanted something from God, they didn't know what to say. So Jesus gives us a model to follow. So if you're taking notes, that's my first point for the night. A model to follow. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we, we've already read this prayer, so now we're going to go deeper, all right? We're going to go deeper. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to go deep. That low. All right, so here's what's going to happen. What we're going to do is we're going to break this prayer down verse by verse. So we have verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, all right? Five verses. And we're going to have five sections of teaching within those verses. And I believe that God has something to say to all of us in every single one of these verses, okay? So the first verse, verse 9, I want to read it for us once again. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now notice right, right at the very beginning of that, Jesus doesn't say my Father. 
hallowed be your name. My Father in heaven. He also doesn't talk to the people he's talking to and say, your Father in heaven. Instead, he says, our Father, implying that we are all a part of God's family of believers. And that's crazy to think about because if you're anything like me, you pray and you worship Jesus. And so I'm worshiping the same person that I can call my brother in Christ. And he is Christ. It's super confusing, but it's super humbling to see that Jesus can relate to me because he's a fellow human, even though he's fully God, fully human. Right here he's saying, God the Father is our Father. Not just mine, not just yours. He's our Father. And so the next thing that we see Jesus saying is our Father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Now, I gotta be honest with you. When I was looking at this text uh, yesterday, actually preparing for this, I had to look up the word hallowed because I don't know about y'all, but I have not, I, I don't necessarily hear that word every day. Um, pe people at CIU aren't necessarily going around talking about how hallowed somebody else is. That sounds kind of like Halloween. That sounds kind of weird. Um, so so I, I, I looked up the definition, and here's the definition of hallowed. Greatly revered and honored. Greatly revered and honored. So if we were to substitute that definition in for this word, our Father in heaven, greatly revered and honored is your name. Greatly revered and honored is your name. So before Jesus asks God for anything in this prayer, before he asks God to give him our daily bread, before he asks God to forgive us of our sins, before he asks God to be led out of temptation, away from temptation, and away from the evil one, before he asks for anything, he gives God praise. And so I, I believe that's a model, the first model Jesus shows us, is that before we ask for anything, we have to be willing to give God praise. Before we ask God to help us study for that test tomorrow, we have to give God praise by looking back and seeing how God led us through the last five tests, and they all turned out okay. Or how in, in the past, but, but before asking God to provide the food necessary for tomorrow, I have to look backwards and praise him for providing food for the entire last week. And so before Jesus asks God for anything, he's praising him. And so today, I believe God wants to ask us all, are you willing to praise him before he answers your prayer? Are you willing to praise him before he answers your prayer? Because just moments before Jesus says this, in the verses before, he says that the Father knows what you need before you ask him. The Father knows exactly what you need before you even say a word. And so God, I know I need food for today. God, I know I need help on that test for today. And because you know I need help in all of these areas, I don't have to be worried, therefore I'm gonna choose to praise you before I ask you for the help because I already know that you know I'm going to ask and you know I need the help. So the only thing I can think to do first is give you praise, just like we just did by singing those songs. And I believe Jesus is calling us to do that on a daily basis, implement that into our daily lives to ask God, to, I'm sorry, to praise God before asking him for anything. And then we see Jesus move on in verse 10. If you're following along, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now what's important to remember here 
is that Jesus was with God from the very beginning in heaven. Just think about that. The, the, the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first verse of the Bible. And just think about God creating all that and Jesus sitting right at his right hand. That, that, that Jesus was there to see everything created before anything even began. And in John chapter 1, verse 2, a few gospels later, he says that he, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. So when Jesus says this, he's talking from experience. When he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking from experience. So to give an example of this, does anybody watch soccer in here? Any soccer watchers? Okay, awesome. Is anyone familiar with a league in England called the English Premier League? Yes. Okay. Uh, shout your favorite team at me. Liverpool. Somebody said Liverpool. Manchester United? Manchester City? Okay, okay. LA Galaxy is in the United States. All right. Well, all right, so, so, so my, my favorite team is Liverpool, for instance, okay? And so a lot of the English Premier League games, they come on early in the morning on the East Coast here. So I, a few weeks ago, my, my brother and I, Garrison, y'all may know him, he's in high school, um, he and I had planned on getting up one Saturday morning to watch a Liverpool game. And I think the game was coming on at about 7 a.m. And so we said the night before, all right, Garrison, we're going to wake up. We're going to watch this game. If you need me to get you up, let me know. So we both agreed on that, went to bed. Well, the morning comes, and uh, I got up at like 6.45, turned on TV. But my brother's still sleeping. That happens often, actually. Um, and so he, uh, he's still sleeping, and I, I, for one, just wanted to be nice. And I was like, well, he probably needs sleep. He's had a long week at school. So I did the justice of recording the game for him. So I watched it live. And I think Liverpool won. I don't know what the score was. I don't even remember who's playing. Exactly. Liverpool does not lose. That's right, Jack. So, um, so Liverpool wins. And, uh, and later that day, I tell my brother, hey, so I recorded the game. Let's go watch it. And so my brother turns it on, and he's seeing it for the first time. Now, keep in mind, when I'm watching this game, I've already known who wins. I already saw the final score. I already know that Liverpool wins. So halftime comes. And I believe it's tied at halftime. And my brother says, well, I, I really think Liverpool's playing better. I, I think they're going to win. And then a few minutes later when the second half starts, he says, well, th this, this other team, they're, they're playing pretty good. I, I think they might get it. And he keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until the end of the game when he sees finally, like I've already seen, that Liverpool won. Now, when he's watching the game, after I've already watched the game, my faith in Liverpool winning is going to be a lot bigger than his because I already know what the outcome is. I already know that Liverpool wins because I already watched the game. And that, that's very similar to what I, that's very similar to what Jesus is doing here. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's telling God, God, I was in heaven with you when you created the earth. I, I was in heaven with you to see all of the previous stuff in the Bible happen. I was there next to you. And so he's speaking from experience. I already know your kingdom's going to come. I already know what your will is for this earth as it is in heaven because I've seen it in heaven. And I'm asking you now after praising you that you would bring it to earth. And so Jesus is speaking from experience. And notice how he's not asking God necessarily, hey God, if, if you don't mind, could you just like come on down and, and bring that nice kingdom up there of yours down to earth and, 
and just, just work out your will exactly how you want it to, but it's totally up to you, totally up to you. I, I don't really know what your plan is. I'll just kind of go with the flow. No, 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 no. Instead, he's commanding. He's saying, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because I've already seen it in heaven and I just want to see it come down to earth. The timing's up to you, but I know it's going to happen. And so Jesus shows us that our experience affects our perspective. I'll say it again. Our experience affects our perspective. And so after verse 10, he goes on to say, give us today, in verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Super simple statement. And I'll be honest, I was kind of confused what this meant when I first read it. I didn't know what Jesus meant by daily bread. I know what both words mean individually, but I did not know what he was talking about. Honestly, I don't want a PB&J every day. I, I, I don't want to eat bread every day. Jesus, what are you talking about? I, I don't necessarily, I, I, sometimes I want Chick-fil-A. And I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A and just get bread. I mean, there's chicken involved. So I, I didn't know what he was talking about. And so when I first read this, I was confused. But then I started to look deeper. I started to look deeper into what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is encouraging us to ask God for what we need today. Don't focus on everything you'll need for tomorrow. Jesus says later in verse 34 of this exact same chapter, actually, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and God wants you to live where he has placed you today. And even yesterday, I was at CIU, and I was practicing, preparing for this teaching right now, yesterday evening. And it occurred to me that I was so focused on today's teaching, yesterday, that what if I missed something yesterday that God was trying to say to me, that God was trying to show me because I was so worried, I was so focused on the teaching that was to come. I was saying, God, oh, what if I say something wrong? What if I uh, drop my iPad and it shatters? Or what if, what if I forget my Bible? Or what if nobody shows up? That, that, all those questions swirling in my head. I was so focused on tomorrow, and I felt the presence of God just tell me, son, live in right here. Live today. Because as we see in Scripture, tomorrow is not promised. And if, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I want you to just kind of meditate on that for a few minutes. Tomorrow isn't promised. So what are you doing today to spark revival today, knowing in your heart and in your head that God never said there's going to be a tomorrow? Now, if there is a tomorrow, that's awesome. And I'm, hear me out. I'm not telling you not to plan for tomorrow. I'm not telling you not to study for the test tomorrow. Rather, I'm telling you to not be so consumed by your preparation for tomorrow that you miss what God's trying to show you today. And that's what I believe Jesus is telling us when he's just asking for the daily bread that he needs today, that we need today. God, give us what we need today because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. And when it comes, if it comes, I'll live there then. But right now, I, I want to focus where you've placed me today. And then going on in verse 12, Jesus says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, forgiveness is something that I, for one, have trouble with. It's hard enough for me after I sin against God to turn towards God in prayer and say, God, please forgive me of this sin that I've committed for the thousandth time. 
Because in my own head, I'm thinking eventually God's going to stop listening. I've, I've, I've been doing that for so long. I've been looking at that for so long. I, eventually, God just won't want to hear about it. So it's pretty hard for me to do that sometimes, but it's even harder for me to forgive someone that's one of my peers or forgive someone that maybe goes to school with me. Maybe that person and I don't necessarily get along very well, and maybe they throw some hateful words my way, and two, two days later they come my way and say, hey, Bryce, I just want to say I'm sorry. Do you forgive me? And that, that's, that's a tough position for me to be placed in sometimes because in my own head I'm still so frustrated by what they said, or I'm so frustrated by what they did. The forgiveness is tough for me. But Jesus is challenging us to forgive those who have wronged us just as Jesus got on that dirty cross 2,000 years ago to forgive us of how we've wronged him. And the, uh, the most humbling example that I can think of regarding forgiveness happened three and a half years ago. On June 17th, 2015, there was, a, uh, there was a prayer meeting happening at a church in Charleston. And um, this guy by the name of Dylan Roof, he, he came in, and the, the church members, they, they welcomed him. And, uh, and they, they prayed for an hour or two, had a Bible study, similar to what we're doing here tonight. And um, at the very end of the prayer meeting, during the final prayer, this guy, Dylan Roof, my age, 21 at the time, he got up and he started shooting a gun he brought in. And he uh, killed nine people just like that. Lives gone. Just like that. And you, you may have seen it on the news of, of, a few weeks afterwards. Um, there, there was a trial that took place in Charleston where Dylan Roof was there on trial for what he did, which was clearly wrong. And the families of the nine people who had died were invited. And so they all came to the courthouse. And they, they all had turns to speak. And now when the, the, the judge said, okay, you can say whatever you want. I'm, I'm going to give you this amount of time, and you can tell Dylan Roof exactly how you feel. You can tell him everything that, that he did wrong, why it was wrong. You can spit on him. They, they could have easily hit him. They probably would have gotten in trouble for it. But if, if, if this guy that I did not know came into my life and killed someone that I loved at a prayer meeting of all places, at a Bible study of all places, in a church of all places— there are going to be some thoughts in my head of anger, of hate, something along those lines maybe. And, uh, and this, this was by far, at least in my top three, most humbling moments of my life so far. And I watched this trial on, on, on uh, CNN. And every single time these family members came up, they looked Dylan Roof right in the eyes. They looked the killer of their loved ones right in the eyes and uttered the words, we forgive you. We forgive you. And the reason why they were prompted to say that to the person that just took away someone they loved, multiple people they loved, was because God had forgiven them. And tonight in this room, everyone I'm looking at, myself, the volunteers, the staff, the students, God has forgiven us. And even to extreme measures, as that, with Dylan Roof killing nine people, he's calling us to be bold enough to genuinely say, look someone in the eyes and say, I forgive you. We forgive you because God has first and foremost and continuously has forgiven us. And so forgiveness 
is the key here to what Jesus is saying. Forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then Jesus ends his prayer in verse 13, and he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when Jesus talks about temptation and the evil one, he encourages us to ask God to lead us away from temptation and deliver us out of the grasp of the evil one. Also known as Satan, also known as the devil. Whatever name you want to call him, Jesus talks about him very clearly right here. And now some translations of the Bible have the prayer ending right here and not including, but yours is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's just pause right here for a second. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Can I let you guys in on a little secret? Is that okay? Is that awesome? All right, come close, come close. Um, The devil doesn't want you to be here right now. The devil, Satan, doesn't like that you're here right now. In fact, he would rather you be doing that thing that you've been doing that's a sin, that you're that you're hiding from everybody else, but God still sees, he would rather you be there than here. In fact, he'd rather you be anywhere else but here. And so my second point tonight, my final point tonight, if you're taking notes, is a question that I want to pose to myself and everyone else. What if you and I started to pray so that the devil could hear us? Now, I know what you're thinking. Bryce, you just talked about how we need God to hear us. You just talked about how Jesus is telling us how to pray, and Jesus is God. I don't know why you're talking about the devil. This isn't supposed to be happening in church. But think about this question. What if you started to pray so the devil could hear you? This is what I mean by this. What if we had the faith within our prayers to pray a prayer so so bold, for instance, about revival? God, I'm not only saying that I want to see revival. I'm believing that you're going to bring revival. Because I, I know that that's your plan. I, I, I know that you want to revive this community. And I know that no weapon formed against me by the devil shall prosper against that plan of yours. What if we took the time, took the prayer time in our lives to talk to God about what he wants to do. Try to hear from him telling us what he wants to do. Through time in scripture, through prayer, through talking to other believers. And had the faith to believe that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Because I believe that if we start praying prayers like that, we're going to get the devil's attention. Because in my opinion, Satan's had it way too easy in Lexington County. Satan's had it way too easy in my life. As soon as the temptation comes up, I'm giving in. It's, it's been way too easy for Satan. And I feel like there's a lot of people in this room who, who maybe can relate to that. That, God, I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to walk the way of righteousness. But instead, I keep having to turn the other way and walk towards Satan because he's enticing me with something that I know I don't need to be doing. I know I don't need to be saying. I know I don't need to be looking at. I know I need to stop. But instead, I'm being enticed by the temptation to keep walking towards him. But tonight, I, I, I truly believe that revival not only can take place, but will take place. And that's something that the devil doesn't want to hear. That's something that I believe gets him scared, gets him discouraged, knowing that a hundred and something students in this room alone on one night could all commit, God, 
I don't know what the revival looks like, but I know there's going to be one, and I want to be a part of it. And that, that, that is my prayer for us tonight overall, is that we would be people that would pray, pray with faith, knowing that what God wants to do is going to take place as long as we have the willingness to take the steps necessary to allow him to do it in our lives and through our lives. In James chapter 5, verse 16, the writer of James says that the prayers of the righteous accomplish a lot. The prayers of the righteous accomplish a lot. What if the prayers of Mount Horeb students started to accomplish a lot? What if the, the prayers in this room, of the people in this room, stopped being just talking to the air? Stopped being, God, thank you for this food, good night. Or thank you for this food, I'm ready to eat. Thank you for this day, I'll see you in the morning. Stop being so small, stop being so meaningless. Then instead, we start praying prayers with bold enough faith that God is actually starting to move in our lives and through our lives. And the prayers of the people in this room start to accomplish revival in this room, but also outside this room, in this community, in our families, in our friend groups, in our schools, in our own hearts, and the hearts around us. And if you want to see revival happen, as we talked about at the very beginning, if you want to see the glory of God come to this earth as it currently is in heaven, as Jesus talks about in this prayer, it has to start small. It has to start with you. It has to start with me. It has to start with us. And tonight, as we just said, it has to start with prayer. And when I say prayer, I, I don't mean just talking to the air. I don't mean just talking to the sky and checking it off my box that I prayed today. Instead, I mean actually sitting down, committing time, saying, God, this time right here is for you. And I'm setting aside the video games. I'm setting aside um, the schoolwork I know has to get done. I'm, I'm, I'm setting aside the hangout time with my friends to commit this time right here, right now. Not going to put it off anymore to you. Because I know that the only way revival is going to take place is if it starts small with one prayer, if it starts with you, with you praying, and if it starts with prayer collectively. And so tonight, we have a challenge for you guys. Over here, you'll see this board. And what's on the board is uh, sign-up sheets for every day starting with Monday of this upcoming week. And in the back, we're going to have a table with more sign-up sheets starting with Monday going through Sunday of next week. And here's what we're challenging you to do. It's never been done before. It's, it's never been done with Mount Horeb students ever before, and you guys get to be a part of the first time. We're challenging you to do 24-7 prayer. And what I mean by that is praying nonstop for the whole week. Now, what that doesn't mean is you have to pray nonstop for the whole week. So what's going to happen is we're going to challenge you guys to sign up for one Maybe two, maybe three, maybe the whole week. Sign up for as many slots as you want on this, on, on, uh, this sign-up sheet and in the back, signifying that you're going to pray for this allotted time. Now, all these times are in 30-minute increments. So what that means is if you look here, I think my name's already on it. I've signed up for Friday at 12 a.m. What that means is if I go to bed at Friday at 10 p.m., I'm setting my alarm for 12 a.m., and I'm waking up, maybe not for the whole 30 minutes, but I'm waking up for 5, 10, 15 minutes and genuinely talking to God, genuinely saying, God, I know revival's coming, and I'm telling you right now that I, for one, am going to be a part of it. And so that's what we're challenging you guys with. If this means setting an alarm, it means setting an alarm. 
Now, obviously, check with your parents to make sure it's okay if it's 2, 3, 4 a.m., okay? But assuming that it is, this is something that I believe God is going to use to take big steps towards revival in this community, in our own hearts, because he's going to see everyone in this room right now is committed to him. Regardless of what your friends say, regardless of your prayer life before you came in here, I believe that God wants to reshape it completely. And, and make you into a person of prayer that has a posture of prayer. That prayer is not only something you do and check off that you did, but it's the center of everything you say and everything you do. Before I talk to any of my friends, I'm talking to God. That's what we want to challenge you guys with. And so after the next song, not during the next song, but after the next song, we're going to challenge you guys on your way out to go to the back table and sign up for as many slots as you want. At, 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 at any time of the day, on Monday, Tuesday, all the way through Sunday. And this is something that, once again, I believe God is going to use in bigger ways than just a piece of paper. And it's, it's, it's going to be used in better ways than just one or two prayers for five minutes. Because just like we talked about two weeks ago, it has to start small. It has to start with you. And tonight we see that it has to start with prayer. I believe we're on the brink of something big. I believe that, that God is going to spark revival if he hasn't already in this room, and it's going to carry on to the entire community of Lexington, South Carolina. And that's something I've wanted to see for so long. That's something we've wanted to see here at Mount Horror for so long. And I know it's something that, that you guys have wanted to see for so long. And so tonight, as we close in worship, as we respond in worship, just start thinking through, when is God prompting me to pray this upcoming week? How many times is God prompting me to pray? How do I need to pray? Jesus has taught you how to pray. Jesus has taught us how to pray. And tonight, he's shown us. So let's respond in worship. Um, so if you'd all stand, I'm going to pray us out. And then we'll respond in worship. And then after worship, be sure to sign up on your way out. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for how you've moved already. Thank you for how you're going to move during this next song. I pray you'd prompt our hearts to sign up for however many slots we need to to pray. I pray that as we go out from here, we, we would recognize that yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. And we give you all the glory forever and ever. Amen.